If your job is on life support, you need the job doctor. My brain is a walking database of thousands of case studies on how careers rise and fall. I'll help you diagnose what's really going on. It's the guidance you need to get back on track from someone who's been there. You can make the money you always wanted to make, doing the type of work you have always wanted to do. You may just need a little help from the job doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of The Job Doctor. I have a very experienced manager on the phone with me this week, and it's a very interesting conversation, not just for managers and about how to put together a development plan for a team when you don't have career paths necessarily in your company. This is really better than that. This is about how do you develop yourself? How do you take charge of your career and set your own development plan? How do you know whether you should pay for coaching? And what are the things that you can do within your job that at least can help you look better on a resume and help position you better for a better job? Ala, welcome to the job, doctor. Tell me what we can do to help you today. Thank you, Tisa. So I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. Um, So if you would be so kind to just uh, give me your opinion about my questions. Yeah, go ahead. Give me question number one. Right. So I'm just curious if I'm working on some place and I would just want to go to some other place, uh, what's the minimum time or minimum amount of time I need to spend here? So I'm not perceived negatively by my next employer as someone who just hops on and off from one employer to the other. Well, a lot of it has to do with whether you've got a track record of job hopping. So I think everybody in today's environment gets one get out of jail free card. If you want to, you know, leave early and go to another employer. It's really the pattern that kills you. And for most employers I'm talking to, they're interested in seeing a track record of somebody making it through the honeymoon period and into the hard part of a job, right? You're not going to work at a job for two and a half years, three years without hitting some bumps along the way. So two and a half to three years is about what I would recommend that you stay somewhere. And as a job search strategy, And to maximize the pay you get, I would go into a job and try really hard to get a promotion within the time frame I'm there, because that also gives a proof point that you were not only able to exist at the company and do okay, but thrive at the company to get that promotion or that job title change, even if it didn't come with a raise, by the way, just having that on your resume is worth quite a bit of money. I actually agree with you on this one. So if that if company A can promote me, then definitely I'm worth something for company B. Or that's worth points when I'm applying for a position there. It is. And and really I tell people you've got to make decisions that are best for you too. So let's say your dream job comes along and you've only been at a company for a year. And mm-hmm. that's a hard decision to make. But provided you don't have a track record of just, you know, popping from job to job. If that's the right job for you and the right company for you and the right time for you, maybe that's the time you use your get out of jail free card. You always have to make the decision that's best for you and your career and where you're going to succeed and what's going to build the right career for you long term. I see. Uh, Since we're talking about track records, this brings me to my second question for you today. So let's say hypothetically, there was an opportunity coming with uh, that is much better than my current position. And the employer asks for more experience 
in that position. I'm still, I have been nominated by the headhunter, but I need to prove to the employer that I'm worth getting interviewed, provided that I am skilled enough to do this job I'm asked to do. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell you to do something that may not feel great. And that is you've got to ask more questions to make sure you're not doing something short-term to get the big hit in your pay that does not serve you long-term. Because I have seen some people get hired or become a finalist for a job in which they have no business being in. If you have no business being in it, know that if you take the job, it's going to be a painful journey for you. You're going to probably fail, or at least your odds are higher that you'd fail if you're completely unqualified. So you've got to do work to understand what they want. Now, if you don't have all the requirements and you still, as you do that deep dive, say, I can do this. I have the stuff to do this job. That's a different story. If you think you've got what it takes to do the job, you need to find proof points to share with that recruiter about it. And it's fine for you to acknowledge, I may not have the years of experience, but let me tell you what I do have. I have the ability to drive business or to get great outcomes in this scenario for this company. This is my sweet spot. And let me show you how I know. And then give them a few proof points of some professional highlights where you've actually been able to do that thing, whatever it is, solve that problem that the company's trying to solve with that position. The first question to ask is, what is the problem they're trying to solve here? When you understand that, I think it will uh, clarify for you whether or not you do have some of the skill sets that you will need to help them. I see. So you're basically trying to say that uh, I, I need a 100% clear understanding of what is required in order to prepare good arguments for that first interview, correct? Yes, that's right. Because I don't want you to make a decision that's bad for you because it's really painful. Even if you make more money, it's very painful. I want you to make a decision that's good for you. And sometimes you can be somebody entirely uh, with the right stuff to be able to do that job without the exact number of years of experience. But make sure that you that you know what you're getting in for first. Okay. Tell me about this job a little bit. I just want to ask you, what what is the job and why do you think it's a good job for you? Well, it is the same position mm-hmm. that I am in right now. So it's not a it's not really a drastic change of let's say functionalities or tasks to do in the job. So I've I've had a discussion with the headhunter and it seemed pretty much similar to what I'm doing right now, uh, just a little bit, let's say, upgraded. So I'm not seeing a drastic change. I think that I, I did have an, a clear understanding of what is required mm-hmm. from me mm-hmm. and the difference between what I'm doing right now and uh, what I will be doing in company B, let's say that. But um, the barrier, I would say, was competition since there were people who were available with, let's say, five years of experience, mm-hmm. 10 years of experience, and maybe they couldn't accomplish that in the company where they spent five years of their lives sure. or reach that salary, et cetera. So I think that's why this uh, opportunity was not successful, but I am not bothered with that. I like where I am. And like you said, it's very important also to be happy where you're working. Yes. Well, you know, I want to just stay there for just a minute longer than I normally would and tell you a personal experience. Value Mm -hmm. proposition is everything. And people don't seem to understand what their value proposition is for an employer. For me, If I say I'm a 25-year HR veteran 
and and then I've managed HR and build HR uh, structures and departments for companies. That's not nearly as compelling to a company as if I said, I'm the person that you'd hire if you want to go public or if you want to have lots of mergers and acquisitions and a high growth strategy. I'm the person that you hire when you don't have infrastructure and you need it. Now, all of a sudden, I become very interesting to the right company who has a high growth strategy. And the same is true if somebody comes to you after a job and they're trying to make it all about years of service. You need to understand what are you trying to accomplish? What kind of company is this? Fast growth, slow growth? What customers and clients are you trying to get? What products do you have so that you can make the right value proposition that's really niche to that company? And then years of service isn't nearly as important as the experience that you bring. I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Mm. Next question. All right. So uh, this question will be more complicated than the previous question. So let's say I work in company A and my academic background is in marketing. And uh, right now I'm working in sales. So I want to transition within the same company to their marketing department. Uh, I know that this company would give me privilege. So if I apply internally, I am better or I have a better chance of getting the job than external candidates. But how do I need to navigate uh, the fact that I have experience in a different department and I want to apply for a completely different type of, let's say, job that, that is compatible with what I've studied at the university? I'm so glad that you recognize that you can that you can use what you know and navigate within a company because I hear from so many people, they're just going to hire somebody from the outside. I don't have a chance. And the first thing is to understand that you as an internal applicant, you've got the keys to the kingdom, my friend, because you know the best departments to work in, the worst departments to work in, you know the power structures of the organization. And so you can use that to your advantage. The first thing you've got to do is you need to plant seeds with the managers or the departments that you may want to work. Set up time to visit with them and say, tell me about what you're trying to accomplish and what are your objectives for the future. I would like to be able to transfer and work here. This is my background and I want to prepare myself so I'm one of the first people you think of when the opportunity arises. You plant those seeds, they will bloom because managers, when they open a position, do not want this to last forever. They, they would love it to be filled the next day. And so you want to be the first person they think of. And then you want to do whatever you can to augment your skill set towards whatever that conversation was and let them know along the way, hey, I just uh, completed a digital marketing certificate. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm you know, doing what we talked about. You're just keeping them warm. So that's one of the things you can do. The other thing you can do that I think is pretty useful is asking if there is a cross-functional project that you could be a part of. You can ask your current manager, say, I'd really like to beef up my experience in marketing and do something where I can uh, use my sales skills and marketing skills. Is there something on the horizon you see or some problem that we're trying to solve that I could help with? And that's another great way to be exposed to other people, other department leads and heads and be able to showcase what you can do. Because where you're right is that once a company's hired you and put you in the spot, they forget and they don't know what you have to offer besides the role that you're playing right then. And so you have to remind them and you have to find opportunities where you can showcase that you are more than just that role. Okay. Okay. I think this answers my question. I had some ideas in mind before, but 
I feel like the cross-functional project advice is really good. That's something I can definitely start with. You know, companies love free, right? They love free help and companies Mm -hmm. love solving problems. And so what you're doing is using what you know about a company to your advantage. You're saying free help. I'm going to help you solve another problem. It may take you a few extra hours a week to do Mm -hmm. that, but uh, companies will rarely turn down free help. Okay. And um, I I would agree with that. Definitely. And uh, aside from that, I'll say the alternative for me right now is to get into management. So I feel like I have a good attitude to be a manager. I've been researching what kind of skills I need to develop while working in my team. But I'm, my question is, given the fact that I am working on developing those skills and I am working to acquire more visibility within the team, what else can I do in order to, whenever there is a, like a manager's leaves, uh, the senior management or leadership will think of me as a possible candidate? Yeah. Well, managing projects is one of the first things because managing projects isn't that far off from managing people, particularly if you position it correctly. Managing a project with cross-functional people in many ways is much harder than managing a team because when you manage a team, they at least report to you. They're in theory supposed to do what you say, but when you manage a project that's cross-functional, you know, it's like herding cats. And if you can do that and get people who don't report to you to do those things, you can position that as a very, very strong point for why you would be a good manager of people. So try to find committees, projects, anything where you can showcase your ability to project manage. The other thing, just preparing to just generally be a manager, I would be doing some personal work myself to sign up for how to do project management. I think that's in a critical role, especially with so many people working remote. I try to get your PMP certification. You can do that online. It's expensive, a little bit expensive relative to some other certifications you can get, but it's a really strong one to have. The other thing is making sure that you are good with cross-functional conversations and projects. Um, Cross-functionally, we tend to do poorly. We work in silos at companies. So start finding ways to intersect with other people, talk to the other leaders, know what they're trying to accomplish. Just work for today as a baby step on getting to know who those people are. Even if you're just meeting with them and saying, what do you do in this organization? What's easy? What's hard? You know, tell me what you've learned about how to be successful here. Any excuse to get to know those people is a really good step for you. And then you can work on how do you work effectively with those people by getting on projects or teams where you're able to actually intersect with them in a more meaningful way. I see. Do you have the ability to ask your manager a good enough relationship to ask your manager to expose you to like the next level up of meetings, whether they're executive meetings or kind of a senior manager meeting where you can listen in or participate or even give a proposal in one of those meetings? Is that a possibility? Um, I think it is a possibility. I've actually never thought of that, but that's an that's an excellent suggestion. I am working in a project manager kind of format kind of position right now. Uh-huh. So I am managing projects. So this, what you're saying, speaks a lot to me mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, the daily difficulties of the job, especially when it's cross functions. Because you, when you're working with the people in your department, it's very easy. You all know what you're doing, but when you right. start exposing yourself to other departments, then sometimes I may meet people who have no idea what I'm doing. They just know the position title, but they don't know 
what the, mm-hmm. what that that entails, etc. I would definitely suggest that to my manager. Of maybe not right now because I still feel like I'm a baby in this company. Maybe a, a, a little more time and confidence. How long have you been there in this role with your manager? Six months, six but months. I have an excellent relationship with my manager, I think. Well, then you should not wait. The script that I would use with your manager is something like this. I want to continue growing and learning in this company, and I really like it here. One of the things I know that I'm going to want to do is manage people. I think I have a natural propensity towards it, given that I like to work on projects and and work cross-functionally. This is the next natural step for me to take. I would love to have your help and guidance to that end and be watching for opportunities for me that I can either be exposed to seeing how people lead or have opportunities that I can take baby steps in that arena. Would you be willing to support that? It is not a hard conversation to have. It is not a difficult conversation to have with a manager that likes you. And you want to get as many champions as you can. And your manager is going to be your first natural champion or advocate for you. And managers also want to help their people. That's the thing. I I know a lot of people have bad managers, but managers don't wake up saying they want people to be miserable. They actually do want to help. And usually if you can involve your manager in saying, here's what I need, they will help you and it makes them feel good to help you. So you should try that. Okay. I will, I will do that. I will do that this week and see, and see what my manager thinks about it. Good, good. In fact, I want you to send me a message. I want to hear how it goes. I will. I will. I think it's going to go well. It's uh, she's a very good manager. Okay. So I guess we are at my final question for the day. And this is more of a sensitive question. So let's say that I've been in a company for a respectable amount of time and I've been building a track record of, first of all, having excellent KPIs. So I'm, that means that I'm doing my job very well. The thing that I was hired off that I volunteered in other, uh, what you called earlier, free projects mm-hmm. in which I'm offering my services for free for either other departments or for my own departments. And I expose this to my manager. I muster the courage to tell my manager, hey, I think I need to be paid more because I am working more and I think I'm doing very well. Here, Here's the proof. And then my manager would say something like, oh, this needs to go through HR or maybe we should wait for like, like let's say next year at uh, X, X or X month, we will discuss this again. The old or just stall a, tactic. No. Yeah. Or a plain just no, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it's a good time for you to ask for a raise right now or something like that. So uh, this didn't happen yet, but I'm anticipating. So I just want to know what to do in this kind of situations. Oh, wow. So this is a big answer. Uh, I have so much to tell you. How do I do this concisely? Let me give you a couple principles about companies. Companies will always put off now what they can do later. Okay. So that's number one. Companies, Mm -hmm. number two truth about companies is companies like to see results first, pay later. And so I want you to use those things in your favor. First of all, if you get a no, the next place I would go is what's called an if then proposal, because this is what boards do with their executives. If I do X, then will you give me Y? So the next discussion you would have with the manager that says no is, what would it take to completely knock it out of the park? Or what would be such a dramatic win for us that it could give you the argument that you need to get me a raise? And 
especially if it's a big enough win, the company is winning something, the company's getting the outcome, and you're just taking a little small sliver of that. So that would be the, the second place that I would go after an initial raise request. But raise requests, people do them wrong all the time. And you gave me a couple of clues that I want to bring up. When you say to an employer, I've been doing all this work for you, and I feel like it's deserving of a raise, that's coming at it from a me perspective. I worked hard, therefore I've earned a raise. And you have to go at raise requests very differently. You have to address it. Everything you say has to be, how does the company win? What have I done for the company? And how has that made a difference for the company? And how will the company get more by giving me a raise You know, how will they get something for giving me the raise? Because the company is also looking at ROI or their return on investment. So most people will say something like, I really feel like I need a raise. Sarah left and I've been picking up the duties for her. So I'm doing twice as much work and I've really gotten some good outcomes for you. I've really worked hard and I've gotten a top performance rating every time. And I also haven't gotten a raise for two years. That's their argument. It's all about me. Let me shift and show you what the right conversation sounds like, it would be something like, I'd like to talk to you about uh, a raise and why I think that it makes sense for the company. Since I got here, I have been able to increase the speed at which we recruit people and bring them in. And our time to hire has moved down 20%. In addition, I looked over our whole budget and I was able to cut $50,000 out of unnecessary expenses that we didn't need. And in addition to that, I'm also pursuing a new strategy to outsource some of our recruiting, which will save us another $50,000. Given that I've done that and looking at also what the market is paying for recruiter positions, which is X, I feel like a 10% increase would be warranted. And then you make the ask and always give them two options. We could do this or we could do that. You could give me a 10% increase or we could do a 5% increase now and a 5% increase in three months when I'm able to finish the outsourcing and then let the manager, you know, respond and follow up with other ideas. But there's a real difference between asking for a raise, coming at it from what a company is listening for and what a person wants and why. So think about that. Write down your raise request and then look at it through the eyes of a company and say, am I addressing what I want and why or what the company's getting and why? That will help you have a more successful ask. Okay. In order to recapture what you just said, which is, by the way, I think it's also an excellent advice. It's all about value proposition, the thing that you've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have two scenarios here. The first is a plain no in which uh, the alternative would be to if X, then Y. Mm-hmm. And then um, that's more like, okay, uh, I need something that I can track. I need more of a promise. If I achieve something, I will be getting this because I want to this and I'm ready to give more. And then uh, if this gets put off, then it's all about negotiation. So we don't want this to be in the air. We want something practical. We want a timeline. But at the same time, the way it is phrased should be company-centric rather than uh, self-centric. And uh, Questions that I need to answer would be some things like, how does this help the company? The difference this would create. And if, for instance, this raise happens, what impact will that have on my, let's say, my performance? 
the team's performance or even the company's performance overall. Correct? That's right. That's right. You got it. So you ask for a raise based on what the company gets. That's principle number one. And principle number two is if you get a no, then a delayed raise is better than no raise at all, right? So you go for the delayed raise with an if-then proposal. Okay. Perfect. I think that's all the questions that I have. Thank you so much, Tisa. You are very welcome. Well, let me just summarize, if I can, a couple of things that we learned today. Uh, Mm -hmm. Number one is that enlisting the help of your manager is a really critical piece. And uh, asking your manager to support your growth is entirely reasonable. So number one, you should try and do that. Number two, you should always plant seeds in your company. If there are opportunities or departments where you want to work, plant the seeds early. So when the position does come open, you're the first person the manager thinks of. If you're coming to the manager when the job's posted, it's too late. You've got to start early. And then lastly, you do the thing that's best for you. And make sure that when you're assessing jobs and deciding if you want to make that next big move, money isn't everything. Whether you can be successful in the role is. And if you think that you can be successful in that role, being able to convey the value proposition to the employers, why you would be such a good fit for that is incredibly important because if you're not clear on it, I guarantee they won't be. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Ala. It's been a pleasure having you and I sure appreciate your questions. I think you represent a lot of people who have very, very similar questions. So thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you for your time. You bet. If you like my podcast, you will absolutely love my book. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success, Navigating Pay, Promotions, and Power at Work. I wrote it because I could see that people didn't understand why some people got ahead and some people's career stayed stagnant. So if you're interested in building a more frictionless career path for yourself and having a better experience with work, this is a book that you need to have. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to my website at thejobdoctor.com. 